This is Deep Dive. I'm Sui. What comes to mind if someone talks about trade between China and Russia? Would it be trading posts along the border, flea markets in Moscow, energy products, or maybe bulk commodities? Many local people are engaged in cross-border businesses due to the city's location. There is a shopping mall called Qingyun that mainly caters to Russian customers and has a daily turnover of more than 100,000 yuan. The real situation could be much more than these traditional trade areas, and it's becoming increasingly clear to both sides that bilateral trade is a priority. To find out more, I spoke with CGTN reporter Yang Chengxi, who recently traveled to Moscow. This episode is brought to you on Thursday, March 23rd. Amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict and、uh, the Western sanctions,、uh, tell us what is it like when you walk on the streets and walk through the shopping areas of Moscow. How much do all the tensions affect people's daily life? Now, when I was walking on the street, I did notice some uh, some uh, special changes because、uh, on many of the billboards. Uh, on the sidewalk, we can see pictures of soldiers who are supposedly right now in Ukraine,、uh, and、uh, these billboards just reminds us of the situation here on the ground. But when we were taking a taxi, when we were talking to some of the locals, they were telling us, "Oh,、uh, everything's normal. Life is normal. Of course, I cannot see to it that everything is normal because I've here for just a few days. But I did visit some of the shopping malls here, and and." And get to see firsthand how things、uh, have changed. First of all,、uh, you can't, you cannot use a, a credit card that has a Visa or Mastercard pay,、uh, payments transactions because, as we all know,、uh, Russia has been cut off from the SWIFT banking system.、Mm. Uh, so there's been an interesting story a few months back、uh, when many of the Russian banking apps were pulled from, for example, the A- Apple App Store. Uh, people were selling some of the second-hand phones that have these banking apps pre-installed in them、mm. in a higher price, and that was a pretty interesting story to me because、mm. many people were trying to get a get a hold of these second-hand phones just because they have these banking apps on them,、mm. because they they cannot download them now.、Mm. But right now, when I ask people about it, they said, "Yeah, it was like that before, but right now we've got ways to get around." Uh, the ba- uh, the, these bans and and it was the same thing inside the shopping malls. A lot a lot of the brands uh, keep uh, selling, and、uh, some of the brands、uh, keep operating, but、uh, they have changed names. For example, I can mention McDonald's it, it, because this is, this is one of the most ubiquitous Western brands out there, right?、Mm. We went to, for example, the Pushkin Square McDonald's here in Moscow because it was the first. McDonald's that was opened in 1990.、Uh, when the first day was open, it was like,、uh, for example, 38,000 people went there. It broke broke the whole company record for McDonald's. But now, right now, when McDonald's pulled, been pulled out, it's been renamed、uh, to a store called Forgive me for butchering、uh, the Russian language,、mm-hmm. Kuzno Itochka. Yes, which、mm-hmm. means tasty, and that's it.、Uh, it's because it's been、uh, purchased by a, a Russian. Businessman, if they, they've changed the logo, they've they've changed the、uh, visual,、uh, the the visual of the logo, changed the name, but the things are pretty much the same. They're, they're selling rebranded usual McDonald's items. For example, Big Mac, it's now called the Big Hit.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, but the big, one big thing is that there is 
no Coca-Cola anymore because Coca-Cola is another very ubiquitous Western brand. It is the most Western brands out there. And now it's been pulled from the Russian market, but they're still, they're selling something called Dobri Cola. Mm -hmm. uh, Dobri Cola is partly owned by Coca-Cola, interestingly, uh, but they do not have the Coca-Cola recipe. A few days ago, I went to some of the supermarkets here and I do still see Coca-Cola being available on the shelf, albeit at a slightly higher price because when I picked up the Coca-Cola, it says it's from Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. Probably they've imported from other sources outside of Russia, not directly from the company itself. They've they, a paralleled import from other markets. So this is the situation on the ground right now. We've, when we're walking on the street, we see a lot of peculiar sights because a lot of the, uh, the, the Western brands that we were used to seeing on the street are now called differently. Mm. KFC is now called Rostix, which is another name, uh, which is interestingly the original name for KFC here in Russia. Now it's uh, now it's called Rostix again. Mm. Pizza Hut it's called Pizza H now, and Starbucks has been turned uh, into Stars Coffee, mm. uh, which interestingly is partly owned by a a, a Russian rapper. Very interesting. Uh, many American brands are like change their names and do their business as uh, usual. Uh, and they're talking about uh, yeah. ma made in China products. I remember uh, when I was a correspondent based in New York City, uh, people there say it's not often to pick up any products from the shelves that are not shipped from China. So how about the situation of made in China products or Chinese brands in Moscow stores? Well, a few days ago, I went to uh, one of the major shopping malls here in Moscow. Uh, it is called Avia Park. It is supposed to be one of the biggest in Europe. And as with shopping malls uh, around the world, you see a lot of uh, Chinese brand advertisements. For example, for Xiaomi phone, for Hisense TV, it's the same when I went to, for example, Saudi Arabia a few months back. Their shopping malls were, were, were full of these uh, adverti advertisements for Chinese products. And these products absolutely dominate uh, the electronics market there. And when I went to the electronics store, they're saying, okay, the best-selling phones are, of course, phones like Xiaomi mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, in that market. And that did not really surprise me. Uh, but since a lot of the shops there were closed because there were uh, Western brands, uh, filling in and some of the spots were Chinese sportswear makers mm -hmm. because a lot of Russian people do love sportswear. Uh, we all know this uh, stereotype about Russian loving the Adidas products. Mm -hmm. And for example, products like Decathlon uh, have exited the Russian market. But when I went there, I saw new stops being opened. For example, a Li Ning store, which mm -hmm. is, uh, as you know, a very popular sportswear brand in China. And they've opened there uh, since three months ago, and I've also saw I've also seen a store preparing op uh, preparing to open from Anta Group in China, also an, a very popular sportswear maker in China. So in this sphere, in this sector of sportswear, at least there's been there's been a great expansion of Chinese sportswear products because. Uh, I've talked to some of the uh, I've talked to some of the Russian uh, consumers there in in the shopping mall, and they told me that okay, uh, since Adidas gone, Decathlon's gone, a lot of Nike is gone, but they saw that a lot of the Chinese sports red brands 
were selling very good quality products because there is still somehow this impression that uh, Chinese sportswear, uh, quality-wise, are not up to the standards of uh, Western brands. But now, when they see when they see a lot of these uh, new Chinese products, uh, they are starting to change their perception about what's called a Chinese quality. Mm. Uh, and but what's also helping. Uh, these Chinese brands sell their products is that a lot of the Western brands, uh, although still se- uh, still selling in uh, Russian markets, some of them have left, but some of them have kept open, as you said. Uh, they're selling it in, in, at a more expensive price. Mm-hmm. For example, I can, I can, I can talk to you about the example of Levi's, which is now called JNS mm-hmm. in uh, in Russia. Uh, for example, Reebok, it's now called Sneakerbox mm-hmm. in Russia. They're still selling the same products, but because it's not owned by Reebok and Levi's, the companies themselves, it's been sold to Russian and uh, and other companies in uh, in Eastern in Eastern Europe. Uh, they import their products through parallel imports, and that means there are a lot of a lot more hoops they need to jump through mm. to get their products inside Russia, and that means they're more much more much more expensive than before. So that decreases their competitive edge, and that also gave. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say another advantage to Chinese products, but the Chinese product through normal competition here uh, would certainly enjoy some sort of a price advantage there. Mm. Uh, but one interesting uh, phenomenon that I've seen is that a lot of these Western products still accept you to use your membership. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, that, that uh, interests me a little bit because if you think that they've left the market, then you think that you cannot use your membership. So this is a very peculiar situation right now. So which makes me wonder: uh, Are they still? Are these Western brands still somehow profiting of uh, the Russian market, even though they've claimed that they've left the Russian market for good? Mm. And, and for example, uh, Alexander Gover, who purchased McDonald's uh, and turned it into Kuchno Itochka, um, he offered McDonald's. A six-year buyback time frame, mm-hmm. so the McDonald's can come back within six years, buy back their, their brand. And a lot of uh, luxury brands are doing the same in in Moscow. When I went to some of the high-end shopping malls, a lot of the Burberrys and Cartiers are still there, although they're not open, but many of their stuffs are still neatly organized inside their stores, seemingly being prepared to open anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting observation that I have. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so you particularly mentioned sportswear. I'm curious, generally speaking, how justify is it to say a Chinese products or Chinese brands are like taking over, filling void left by uh, those American or European brands, or it is uh, exaggeration? For example, uh, the electronics products, even before the situation and, and and happened and the sanctions were levied, a lot of the Chinese electronics were already market leaders in Russia. Because when I talked to the electronic store store owners, they, they said that, for example, Xiaomi products, been the top, it's been the top sellers for years mm-hmm. since the since 2018 and 2019. And the, the ones that were making the most headway, at least from my observation, from the two malls that I went to, are uh, sport uh, sportswear products, and the the and this is, I think, partly because they're filling in the gap of the Western uh, sportswear products that have exited the market. Hmm. So now let's shift gears and talk the big picture. 
Uh, right from the agreement following the meeting between the two presidents,、uh, we see trade and investment facilitation top on the agenda. So, what priorities have、mm-hmm. been identified by the two governments, and what specific measures can we expect? Yes,、uh, well, I've been following the state visit very closely for the past few days, and some of the biggest achievements of this state visit are. Uh, the two joint statements that were released, right, one one on a strategic partnership between China and Russia, and one specifically on economic cooperation. Both、uh, joint statements have mentioned、uh, economic cooperation, and they've been prominently features in both statements.、Uh, I can summarize some of them. I mean, meetings between leaders, right, usually provide impetus、mm-hmm. to top-level regulatory upgrades and optimization. It's not, it's not just about how to do business, but how to facilitate better business on a regulatory level. And this is something that can be achieved through high-level consensus and agreements. So both sides have agreed to, for example, promote the drafting of a new version of the investment cooperation plan outline. And they have welcomed the launch of new negotiations for an investment agreement signed in 2006, and these moves、uh, are expected to, I think, create a more stable, fair, transparent, and predictable business environment here for investors. Because, because look,、uh, the mutual investments in trade between China and Russia are rapidly expanding phase, and there are a lot of uncertainties from both sides. What is the business environment there?、Hmm. How pre- predictable it is? How 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 best do I get a hang of the regulatory requirements that for me to expand my business and sell my products in each other's markets? And when we are trying to expand to each other's markets, these are the things that is a, a, on top of every business people's mind. When they try to when they try to expand their business into each other's markets, so、mm. I think it is absolutely important for the two leaders to hammer out the these regulatory issues, so as to let、uh, the businesses from、uh, both countries to have a peace of mind, have some 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 sort of certainty when they venture into each other's market.、Mm. And I particularly noticed the two sides have highlighted the role of e-commerce, cross-border e-commerce. For me, it's indeed very interesting because, like, thinking of the the huge and somehow unexpected popularity of、um, the Pinduoduo and its overseas subsidiary in other markets.、Mm-hmm. So, how much potential do you think e-commerce can play in、uh, the trade between China and Russia? The joint statements did mention e-commerce and featured it very prominently. And which I think China is the absolute market leader in、uh, e-commerce platforms globally. I mean, if you look at the most popular apps, I think there is a quite a difference between, for example, China's e-commerce cooperation with the U.S. and and China's、uh, cooperation with Russia, because、mm-hmm. Chinese co-、uh, consumers, for example, are very used to a lot of the、uh, a lot of the U.S. products、mm-hmm. and a lot of the established. U.S. brands, so there is,、uh, for example, already a pretty big volume of transaction、uh, from Chinese consumers for U.S. brands and U.S. products. But、uh, for for Russian products for Russia, it's still in the initial phase.、Mm. It, it is still in the discovery phase,、mm. which I think e-commerce platforms also provide a, a very good window of opportunity because it breaks the boundary of、uh, geography, right? A lot of the people when they go onto e-commerce apps, they can see firsthand、uh, wherever they are what 
Russian products and what Russian brands are on display and on offer. And I think a lot of these e-commerce platforms can help a lot of Chinese consumers to uh, go into this discovery phase of what good Russian products are there out there and, and get acquainted with it, uh, unlike, unlike the more established U.S. products. Hmm. And also the two sides agreed to address some of the bottlenecks along their trade routes. We know China and Russia, mm. the two big countries, share a very long land border. So I was wondering what those uh, bottlenecks are and how are they going to do about this issue? Exactly. When, when two sides uh, want to expand their trade, for example, through e-commerce, when goods are bought and sold online, it can come in very big quantity. And a lot, and it requires a lot of flexibility, right? People want to get their products uh, sooner than later. Mm. So logistics become really the next challenge in promoting the two countries' trade relationship, uh, I believe. And that's why uh, you see a second measure in the joint statements that will see both sides really working on working to ensure convenient transportation. Uh, whether it's by rail, or road, or air, or, or waterway, or the sea. Uh, for example, I can mention uh, the first China-Europe freight train mm. service uh, earlier this month, uh, which uh, connected Beijing and Moscow. I think I mean the train carried 55, 40-foot containers uh, of home appliances mm. and construction material. Uh, that arrived in Moscow in just 18 days. And this is one of the ways uh, that uh, the two countries can make use of the long land borders here. But let's be honest, uh, one of the most efficient ways to ship product right now, it is still by a waterway and sea because in, in, in sea transportation, you don't need to build a rail line. Right. Uh, you can just use the sea, right? So it is much more cost efficient this way and, and china has promised to uh, work with russia to build its northern sea route which uh, connects to not only asia but also uh, the rest of europe it runs along a long a large stretch of russia's northern coastline which uh, russian president vladimir putin is looking to develop into into an international shipping route. And China has a, a quite a lot of infrastructure building experience, and the two sides have agreed to work more closely on that. Well, I can also mention two bridges that were built recently, mm. which connects rail lines uh, in uh, uh, Tongjiang and a bridge and a road bridge in Heihe. This is just to improve logistics and communications b uh, between the two countries, which are uh, absolutely crucial uh, if the two countries want to increase their trade volume, I think. Yes, very interesting, from two directions, either from their land borders uh, in the east and also Russia's uh, seaports uh, in the west. And and, and lastly, exactly. uh, let's talk about the financial cooperation. It's always been a media focal point, uh, especially when we talk about a cross-border settlement using their own currencies, uh, of course, beyond the U.S. dollar. So what's in mind of the two governments to promote this uh, since apparently both sides know it is something they need to do in the future and maybe have to do in the future? Yes, well, for any uh, journalists who are following this, uh, this state visit to Russia, uh, we were pretty much sure that settlements in local currency would almost certainly be brought up because mm -hmm. a few months ago I was... Uh, also in Saudi Arabia, where President Xi had this uh, China-Arab summit, hmm. 
one of the big discussion was that uh, whether the oil transactions in the future can be more and more done in local currency, for example, the the, the RMB. And I talked to expert about it uh, of why uh, China, uh, from its point of view, would want a lot of these energy trade to be done in local currency, and mm. um, because energy trade is one of the uh, biggest trade items between China and Russia, also, so energy trade is something that has high volatility because it's all it's almost always done in hu- these huge transactions, right? Mm. Oil uh, in huge volume are expensive, mm. and when they are when they are transacted by the time they are transacted and done the deal is done and the products are shipped uh, to the destination there might be a time frame where exchange rate for example the US dollar exchange rate could change hmm. and that brings a pretty high level of exchange rate risk to both sides hmm. so that is why for bulk transactions like energy uh, especially like energy you you would want to settle in your own currency so as to eliminate that exchange rate risks and that is just a, a very natural thing to do if you want to to go on go in on the long run on on energy trade between uh, both sides whether it is the arab countries or uh, or russia and also it serves another uh, purpose of reducing the reliance on uh, U.S. dollars, uh, which is uh, under the whims of uh, U.S. policies, also that it increases exchange risk as well. As we all know, Russia is already under Western sanctions led by the U.S. Uh, right now, so it is also another step to make these uh, energy trade more more safe and efficient, and it also benefits uh, trades of goods as well. Also in the roadmap agreement over economic and trade cooperation issued during the visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping, China and Russia said they would strengthen long-term cooperation in energy. They've also pledged to enhance agricultural cooperation to ensure the food security of the two countries. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. For more episodes, please follow our show. If you want to share what you think of the show and also other things that matter to the world, please leave comments on your podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by me, Suyi, and my colleagues Fei Fei and Zhang Zhang. Special thanks to CGTN reporter Yang Chengxi. I will see you next time.